Good evening. It's good to see everybody out. We'll welcome everybody who's here, especially our visitors. Uh, it's good to see you, and it's very encouraging uh, for me. If you saw my name on the list and still came, and for those of you who saw me up here already, I'm not walking out the door. So I do appreciate that very much. Um, it's interesting in my line of work, some of the things I see. I see a lot of different kinds of people. I work in a credit union, for those who don't know. Um, kind of like a bank, a little bit different. But I see a lot of different individuals from a lot of different walks of life. I see people with very little money, some money, some people with a lot of money, um, and all various stages in their lives and attitudes when it comes to their money and, uh, and their life, really. And the people that strike me the most, or the one, some of the people that surprised me the most, are the people that come in maybe every Monday or maybe every Friday. They walk up to the teller and they ask, what's my balance? Teller tells them their balance. And they're like, oh, really? That's great. And their balance maybe was 150, 250. Something that we wouldn't really think of as that much, but they're really excited because they survived the week. They had enough money, they survived the week, and they had a little left over, and that just made their day. That attitude is something that I think we should aspire to have when it comes to our earthly possessions. But I think if we take that attitude to our spiritual life, it's, can, it can be a little detrimental, and we'll flesh that idea out here in a minute. If, you, if we go back to the uh, verses that we read um, with our scripture reading, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, we'll read those again really quickly. Jesus, in, this, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if we take that idea of, I'm so happy that I was able to scrape through the week with a couple hundred extra bucks, but if we apply that to ourselves spiritually, then I think we're missing the mark. We are not truly laying up treasures in heaven where they should be. We're just scooting by, we're coasting, we're not growing properly. So how do we fix this problem? How or what does this problem look like? It can look like a couple different things. There's probably a long list that I do not have the years of experience to make uh, completely. But there's a couple things that we can see, I think. The people or folks that come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, even Wednesday, but the rest of the time they're distracted by things of the world. I'll be first in line to say that distractions are very easy. Most of you know football season started two or three weeks ago. That's a big distraction for a lot of us. Um, it's something that we take a lot of passion in, a lot of pride in, and it can take away our focus. Um, there are people that let earthly challenges bring them down where they're not actively working on their spiritual life. They're focused on a job search, which is not bad. We, we're, as, you know, as providers, we're supposed to have jobs, but sometimes that search can, that can wear us down and we can forget about our ultimate goal, right? There's a lot of different examples that we can go into that, we're, that we don't have the time for um, to talk about tonight. But I want to talk about laying up treasures in heaven. We know that 
We, we understand the basic principle that Jesus is speaking here and he's talking about. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be focused on the things of this earth because they aren't temporary. As the old preacher said, you, you, can't, you don't see the U-Haul trailer behind the hearse, right? We can't take it with us. Um, so we need to be laying up treasures in heaven. And as a kid, I was like, you know what? That makes sense. I agree with that statement. That is correct. That is a good thing to be doing. But as a kid, either I wasn't listening enough or probably wasn't paying attention enough to understand and to listen to how to do that, to figure out how to do that. So I'm like, okay, store up treasures in heaven. Great. And a couple of years ago, I was thinking about this verse. I was like, huh, how, what action steps can we take? You know, what physical things can we do to lay up spiritual treasure? And Michael Lamb didn't know I was preaching about this Wednesday when he talked about uh, the pirate and the treasure chest. I was like, Michael, please be careful. Don't step on my toes. But you did good. It was a good, uh, good introduction for what we're talking about tonight. Um, so we're going to look at three things, three things that hopefully will encourage you. Um, and I know, or I hope you know, that when I point the finger out talking to y'all, I have at least six pointing back at me. So this lesson is much more for me than it is um, anybody here. Um, this is something that I wanted to work on and wanted to study and wanted to think about. Also, as the audience, I ask one thing with maybe a couple subpoints. You have one goal tonight to listen, to follow along, read the scriptures with me, and if you find application, I hope you make it. I, I really do. If you find that something I've said is maybe not quite right, something you have a question about, I really want you to come to me and mention that to me. If I've said anything that might rub somebody the wrong way or something that might not be biblically accurate, I hope I don't, but if I do, please come to me because um, you'd be my friend to do so. So let's get started. Um, we're supposed to be storing up spiritual treasure. We're supposed to be um, gaining, um, doing, these, doing things to store up treasure not just surviving week to week spiritually. Because if we're just surviving week to week spiritually, and we all have those weeks. We're, I'm not saying that we don't and that, and that that's necessarily a bad thing because we do have those weeks where we're just, we have to survive. But that can't be our normal. So three things that I hope will encourage us to grow more in our faith. Um, these three points come from the Sermon on the Mount because this, the, the, these verses of storing up treasure is like the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of these applications that we're going to talk about come from the Sermon on the Mount with supporting verses outside. So let's look um, real quick. We'll leave the Sermon on the Mount and go to the book of Psalms real quick. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, this is a uh, very famous psalm, uh, the psalm that David wrote after his uh, sin with Bathsheba. Um, and, what, and the first point that we're going to talk about is creating a clean heart. Because if we're going to start storing up treasure, if we want to look at our spiritual life as a bank account, if you're going to start adding to your bank account, you can't have a negative balance. You can't have any collections or charge-offs or anything like that to prevent you from saving up. So the first thing we have to do is create, an, create or have a clean heart in ourselves. This is the, the, the plea of David in uh, Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew my steadfast spirit. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's pleading with God after this horrible sin to 
to cleanse his heart, to let him have a fresh slate, to be able to start over. We also, we can look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> so let's start in verse 7. Uh, James says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, <clears throat> and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So I was thinking about this clean heart. <clears throat> and I think what better part of the Sermon on the Mount to look to, to figure out what exactly that clean heart looks like than the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Now, we don't have nearly enough time to go through all the Beatitudes, so we're going to look at a couple in, at a, on a high level and then one specifically, <clears throat> hopefully with a bit more detail and some hopefully very practical ideas for us um, in our walk on earth. So let's read the Beatitudes really quickly. In verse 3 of chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we'll start here at the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, in verse 5, blessed are the meek. We'll kind of lump those two together. Um, people who are lowly. Um, people who you wouldn't pick out of a crowd, per se. Um, those folks are ones or people with that kind of heart, that, that meek, that humble heart that we saw in James, um, are, is that's the kind of heart that we're supposed to be striving for. That is one of the um, attributes or characteristics of a clean heart, is one that's humble uh, before God. Um, how, do we, how do we do that? A lot of these things, I hope, are very practical, but not very easy. Having a humble heart is not something that you can, oh, I have a humble heart now. He broke humility 101 right there. Um, so it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. It's something that we have to work on constantly and something that we fail at constantly. But we have to continue pressing on to put ourselves on, in a lowly place so that we can have that clean heart. We're going to skip verse 6 because that's one that I want to talk about it in a bit more um, depth. Um, in verse 7, the blessed are the merciful. We, we know that concept um, as good Bible students. We know the concept of mercy and that we are to be merciful to, the, uh, to, to people. And we'll talk a little bit about um, the second point, um, kind of encapsulates that idea of a merciful heart. Um, in verse 8, right on the nose, blessed are those with a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. We have to have a pure heart, heart that is not tainted with sin. Um, in the middle school class, we were talking about... Um, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. And one of the descriptions of them is that they were blameless before God. They had that pure heart. People who are peacemakers, who have to have an attitude of a peacemaker, not somebody who's going to jump in and stir the pot. We don't want, as the, my generation and younger generation says, the drama. We don't want that as Christians. That's not something that we're looking for. We're supposed to be the opposite of that. We're supposed to have a heart that will 
cultivate peace and be able to resolve issues. Because if we're constantly stirring up issues with our brethren, then I can tell you one thing that we're not doing. We're not storing up treasure in heaven. We're not doing God's will. And then blessed are the persecuted. We know that as Christians, if we are walking correctly, that there will be persecutions. And our heart has to be in a place where we will be able to be persecuted. The apostles in Acts rejoiced when they were persecuted. That is the kind of heart that they had because they were invested spiritually and they were persecuted because of that investment. So let's jump back to verse 6, one that I will we'll spend one or two more minutes on than the others. <clears throat> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Let's look back at the Psalms real quick. Let's look at Psalm 42. Again, a psalm that I'm sure most of us know very well, um, especially once we read the first verse. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Excuse me. The psalmist here, one of the sons of Korah, is exclaiming how much he desires God, how much he desires to be in God's presence. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Somebody who is hungering and thirsting um, for God, for what God is and what he wants us to do. <clears throat> in Psalm 119, um, famous for being the longest psalm, but also one of the most beautiful psalms in how it describes the word of God. Eight times, and there's, I mean, quite a few verses in it, so eight might not be a super impressive number, but it was to me. Eight times it mentions the, the word, at least in the New King James, the word delight how the psalmist delights in God's word. It's something that he wakes up and he's excited about. Not something that he wakes up and like, it's still there. That's really cool. I enjoy it. But he wakes up like many of us wake up on a Saturday for college game day or for our favorite football team or whatever. He wakes up excited. He delights in this. Let's look at a couple of those verses. Verse 16, he says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight. Verse 35, you make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. You can start, you can see the trend here in verse 47. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. This is something that the psalmist has embedded in his heart. Something that he has embedded in himself and has shaped his personality around that he is excited and that he delights in God's word, something that is the top of his priority list. It's not getting out of bed and getting ready for work because we don't have a minute to spare. It's not um, you know, spending all day at work and hopefully having time to maybe read our Bible in the evening if we're not too tired and if we don't have a six-month-old who doesn't want to sleep uh, correctly. It's not something like that. It's something that comes first. Um, if you hunger and thirst for food, what are you going to do? You're going to find some food. I know I will. I hope you would as well because we need food. I like food. But we have to have that attitude dialed up to 11 when it comes to God's word. So all of these qualities uh, in, the, in the Beatitudes are qualities that we need in our heart if we're going to be able to deposit spiritually, if we're going to be able to build up treasure for ourselves in heaven. <clears throat> Let's look at Colossians 3, verse 2 real quick. The mindset of the Christian 
um, can be summed up in a lot of verses. We can go to a lot of different places. But I chose this one, Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, and we won't read the, the rest of it, but he's talking about why we're supposed to be setting our minds on things above. It's because of Christ's sacrifice, because of what he's done. So with these things in mind, with this kind of heart, this clean slate of a heart, ready and eager to serve God and to, you know, and to dig into his word, the second thing comes up, a point that we see from the, um, also from the Sermon on the Mount, um, in, in the beginning of chapter 6, which we'll get to in a minute. But let's look at Luke chapter 14. I'm going to talk about helping others. Not necessarily helping... Um, we'll talk some about helping brethren, some about helping people in general. Um, but the, the principles um, can kind of go both ways. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, When you... When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because you cannot, they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is saying here, don't help people or don't be nice to people who you know can be nice back. Be nice to people who might not be able to repay you, who can't repay you because of the dividends that it will pay at the resurrection. This is a clear example of you know, being able to directly, if you will, again, deposit into our bank account spiritually. This is us being able to store up treasures for ourselves. And this is not something that we should be doing from an arrogant or a prideful or a greedy sort of way where we shouldn't, um, that shouldn't be the motive here. Um, and we'll see that here in a couple minutes. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 27. This is a verse that can have a lot of controversy around it, depending on, on who you talk to. And I feel like that has maybe hampered um, Christians because of that. <clears throat> it's again, a, a verse that I think we all know well, verse, uh, verse 27 of chapter 1 of James. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Visiting orphans and widows, that again can be a uh, hot-button subject of, among some people because of the division that we've seen in congregations in the church as a whole over the last 50-plus years. It can be something that tears families apart, something that can you know, ruin friendships, and I think because of that, because of that um, kind of timidity that we might have around this subject, as Christians, we, I think we've failed to an extent to follow this verse, to visit orphans and widows. Now, society is a little different than it was a couple of thousand years ago. Um, such, some situations are different. But are there still orphans? Yes. Are there still widows? Yes. Um, and there is a responsibility of individual Christians to do that, to support them, to help them, to visit them. <clears throat> now, if you'll oblige me a couple minutes, I'm going to get on a soapbox that I've been carving out for a couple, maybe a little over a year. You can ask Allison exactly how long. Um, Acts 2, uh, and we'll look at the last four verses. Acts 2, 44 through 47. <clears throat> 
In verse 44, uh, Luke writes, Now all who believed worked together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from, the house, from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And then we see a couple of other, some other examples of Christians selling their property, selling their homes. Some did it incorrectly and died in a nice sense of fire. And of course, we know Barnabas also did the same <clears throat> as well. And some of the... And um, this is something, again, my, my, my soapbox, you can, kinda, you can call it capitalism versus Christianity. We live in a capitalist society. That's just a fact. That is, um, and I'm not making a political statement here, so um, hopefully leave those <clears throat> ideas at the door, if you will. Um, but we live in a society that has promoted capitalism. Capitalism is pretty much get profit for yourself. Um, there, you can find other definitions and whatnot, but Michael's definition of capitalism is gain profit for yourself, grow, get more, get more, get more. And we're surrounded by that. And that can weigh heavily on us. We, see, we are surrounded by a society that prioritizes money and things over anything else. And we, myself included, number one on the list, myself, we can get bogged down in that. We can get caught up in the wanting more, the gaining more. I gotta, I gotta get more. I gotta save more. I gotta be better. And that's not the attitude we see of the first century church. The first century church, they're selling their possessions. They're um, selling their homes. Um, imagine if we all sold our homes. Where would we live? I don't know. Um, I don't know where they lived. But it says that they sold um, their possessions and their goods. They've, they, so they sold their land. Um, things that are incredibly radical thinking for us today. Now, I'm not saying we all have to sell our homes or anything. But to have that, that mindset of being willing to do that if we had to. Um, to not be wanting to gain more and more and more. Because, um, again, there's no U-Haul trailer after the hearse, folks. Um, at some point, what we gain here in this life, what Jesus said, moth and rust will destroy. Somebody else is going to get it. Somebody else is going to spend it, probably. Um, so there's my soapbox. We'll leave that. We'll tuck that into a corner. If you have questions or anything about that, you can ask me. Um, but something to think on, something to marinate on, I think, is I, that idea of, I mean, we are truly surrounded by... Um, uh, by greed, covetousness, anger, so many things <clears throat> that are rooted back to this idea of gain more. Build for yourself. The American dream, right? Okay, we'll tuck that away. Um, let's end this point in, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. And we'll see the attitude that we're supposed to have. Because again, we could... <clears throat> We could have a competition if we wanted to get a, a, a list of all the families here and have a competition of who can get the most poor, the most needy individuals um, into our homes for dinner because they can't repay us. They can't, give us, they can't invite us and give us dinner back. We could have a competition for that. Not the best way to go about that because of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. The attitude that we're supposed to have when doing good for others. 
Take heed, he says, that you do not do charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Or surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret, he will himself reward you openly. This is the attitude that we should be having. Not, let's have a competition of who can have the most people in our homes who can't repay us. That's not the correct attitude. We should be wanting to do that. We should be wanting to help all of those who we come into contact with. But we should be doing it in a humble, contrite sort of way, like Jesus uh, mentioned or talks about here. Time is getting away from us quickly. Uh, Last point, and then um, we'll get out of here in a couple hours. Um, Trusting God, not being anxious. When you're speaking, and when I get to do it once-ish a year, there's a lot of preacher jokes that can accumulate over those 12 months that some will just slip out, like that one. I'm sorry. Um, Trusting God and not being anxious, I think, is another important thing that we should be focusing on when it comes to how we're storing up treasure for ourselves, Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7. <clears throat> Paul writes, again starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we see here, again, a verse that we all know very well, I'm sure. Uh, be anxious for nothing. Again, it's one of those things that really easy to say, can be really hard to apply, really hard to work at, something that we have to continually work at. Um, but... How do, we, how do we get there? How do we trust God? Well, I think Paul puts it very plainly here. Um, rejoice. What do we rejoice for? Whatever God's given us, whether a trial, whether a blessing, anything that God gives us, we should rejoice in. And if we're rejoicing in something, that gives us a lot less time to be anxious about that something. Also, in, in prayer, be in prayer and supplication. If you're praying, that is the best weapon against anxiety, is talking to our Father. If we're not utilizing that weapon to curb our anxiety, curb our worry, to place our trust in Him, to place our sorrows, our worries, our concerns on Him, and to trust Him, then we're, then we're missing a mark. We need to be doing that. And being thankful. If we're thanking God for what He's giving us, if, he, if we're rejoicing for what He's giving us, then again, we don't have time to be anxious about it. We don't have time to be thinking about maybe we only have $250 in the bank. We're able to trust God and place our cares on him. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll end here in a moment or two. Matthew 5, um, almost 25 for a good section, uh, we're not going to read all the verses, uh, but we know uh, we know a lot of these verses. Um, let's see. 
Matthew 6, verse 25. Like, that's not the right verse. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is telling us, don't worry about these things. He says that in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value? I think we can all agree we're more value than the birds. Even the coolest birds we're more value than. Think about the coolest bird, the peregrine falcon, the bald eagle, whatever you think, the flamingo. I don't know. We're more valuable than that bird to God, and he will take care of us, whether it is physically on this earth or in the afterlife spiritually because of us building up our treasure with him. Well, let's jump down a couple verses. Um, verse 27. I used to worry about all the time when I was a kid. Which one of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Anything that's going to make you shorter because you're going to lose your hair and you'll lose that. I'll lose that one inch. So I can't worry about getting any taller. Um, and he says, consider the lilies um, uh, of, of the field. They don't toil or spin. Yeah, even Solomon with all his riches, the richest person in the world, person with the biggest bank account in the world, wasn't arrayed like one of these lilies. Something that God created, something so simple, is so much more beautiful than having all, all the money in the world. So what does Jesus conclude in, in this section of the, of the Sermon on the Mount? Um, seek God's kingdom first. Verse 33. But instead, instead of worrying, <clears throat> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. It's sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And that's where, that's where we'll leave it for tonight, because again, time is going much quicker than I thought. They must have wound the clock spring a lot to get me out of here sooner. But hopefully these things were encouraging to you. It was helpful for me as I prepared this. Hopefully that we can focus more. We can start this week. Um, if you're going kind of week to week spiritually, we can start this week to not be going week to week spiritually. Um, if, you, if you've become a Christian... And are struggling if you're going week to week, if you're, if you're just coasting, if you're just surviving, then we want to help you. Um, if you need to, come forward in a few minutes. Um, if it's something that, uh, that you want to talk individually about, privately about with somebody here, anybody here would be happy to help you with that uh, situation. If you've not become a Christian, then you're not storing treasure up in heaven. You're not prepared for the resurrection. You're not prepared for when Jesus comes again. We pray that you'll become prepared tonight, that you'll come forward. If there's anything that you need spiritually, um, come forward as we stand and as we sing.